Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Chris. It's good to have you uh, here in God's house this morning. Um, this is our day of the big party, and so we hope that you are ready to um, eat good food and have your kids jump on jumpy houses, and we're probably going to have some good beer out there. Um, we're going to have a party right after this service down in our lower parking lot in our backyard. So I think um, over 400 of you have RSVP'd. If you haven't, you're still invited. Just come on out there. As soon as the service ends, we're going to walk down these door, uh, down the hallway and go out the doors and turn left, and you'll see all the action. I, we even have a bluegrass band happening to celebrate the 20th birthday of our church. Uh, yeah. It is... Um, you know, uh, sticking in there, uh, there's something to be said for that. And we've been here for 20 years as a church. And I was thinking about that the other day. You know, it's like I literally have no, my resume would be a really pitiful thing. I, I was 26 when this church started. Uh, Marty and I, we, Brad has, uh, he has prospects. Um, uh, Nate, our executive pastor, for sure has prospects since he was just recently at the CDC. Adrian, prospects. Marty and me, this is it. Uh, we... We've been doing this since we were kids, so we're so happy. We hope that you'll come and celebrate with us. Uh, there's going to be lots of fun to be had um, out there in the lower parking lot. So whether you've RSVP'd or not, come on. We'd love to see you. Uh, connected to this, uh, Marty and Sarah have just released an album called Let Faith Arise. Uh, we are so excited. I am too old to understand QR codes, but I think if you aim your phone at that, somehow... It'll take you to Spotify or Apple Music or somewhere where you can access this album. Here's what I know. This is a beautiful album. That photo is actually from our first Sunday as a church, uh, which is crazy that we found that photo. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, this album, Sarah and Marty have been working on for a while in sort of collaboration and celebration of our 20th birthday. And what I know is that there are times where I need to like turn Tyler Childers off and worship God uh, or whatever it is you listen to that's not inherently Christian, which is great. But sometimes we need to like quiet our hearts in our cars or at home and just go to the Lord. This is such a beautiful tool for that. One of the things that I love about Marty and Sarah and our musicians is that we create the music in this church primarily for this church. And if it goes out, that's awesome. But this is for you. Uh, and this is um, a beautiful way for us to use music as a way to celebrate the good things that the Lord is doing and to draw us into his presence. So I hope you'll, you'll give it a listen. Wherever you find music, you'll find it. It's out there. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to read in chapter 4. And it seems like a weird theme. Today we're going to talk about um, death, conflict, and being alone. So happy birthday, Trinity. <laughs> Uh, that's where we're going today. And I actually will tell you that this last week has been really fruitful in my own life with God as I've prepared for this sermon. Um, and so we're going to just be really punk rock about it and read the whole text. So we're not going to stop at eight and then pick it back up at 16. We're just going to go for the whole thing. Uh, and there's a reason why people tend to skip it. Cause when I get to verses nine uh, through 15, you're going to think, well, those are weird texts. Uh, but I think there's a real, there's something really powerful, something really struck me in those words. So we're just going to read the whole thing. So pretend after appearing and before at that there are other words because there actually are. If you have your Bibles, you can read them with me. As for me, Paul says, I am already being poured out as a libation and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here, here are the invisible words. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will pay him back for his deeds. You must also beware of him, for he strongly opposed the message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all, to all, and all Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for the Bible, even the parts that, that we're tempted to just skip over. God, I pray that you would help us to see truth in the word today. I pray, God, that we would hear you, Holy Spirit, through our brother, St. Paul. And I pray that you would help us to think about really weighty things. Lord, I think this text invites us to think about weighty things, things that we maybe don't want to think about, but things we desperately need to think about. So help us, Lord. Whatever we bring with us today to church, God, whatever thing that would pull us into the future or the past, we just ask you for grace to be present. God, I'm learning to be present. I pray that you would teach us how to be present, Lord, because you can't meet us in the future. You won't meet us in the past. You meet us here in the present. So help us to meet you today. Help us to think deep and true thoughts about you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I'm just going to say three things today. Uh, we're going to reflect on three ideas, and my hope is that you'll be able to grab onto some of this and hold it. The first is connected to finishing well. Paul's about to die, and he knows it. Uh, he knows that his end is coming. And I really admire this about Paul because he lived a very full life, and now he knows that he is... Um, He's nearing the end of his life. And he uses this language. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, there's a crown of righteousness that is reserved for me. And then he expands the circle to you. He says, not only me, but, but everybody who trusts in Jesus, there's a crown waiting for you. Paul is living with um, the crown in mind. He's living with the end in mind. And he, he's prepared to die. He's prepared to die well. And I read somewhere that we spend about um, more than half of our health care in the last six months of life trying to delay the inevitable. We're so afraid to die. Um, many of us in this room, you would, you would name it as your deepest fear, death. It's like we don't know what it's going to be like. It's so hard to die. And unlike other ages and other places and maybe even some other people, um, we in the West don't want to think about death. We, death makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel small. It makes us feel like we're not in control. And, and I just want to say, like, we are small and we're not in control. And just because we don't think about something doesn't make it true and inevitable. And as Paul 
um, here is saying um, it is time and I am ready, it's got me to thinking like, am I ready to die? Are you ready to die? On Friday, I unloaded a pickup truck full of uh, firewood from a good friend's dad's truck in my backyard because it's fire burning season almost. In our family, you know, it's like as soon as it gets below 60 degrees, you know, we just open the windows and turn the air conditioner on and build a fire. So I love loading fire. So when Mark Gordon, David Gordon's dad, um, came to my house, I was just pumped. I was like, yes, fire time. And we're sitting there chatting around the edge of the, of the back of the pickup truck in the backyard. And um, David said, you know, my, my grandmother died uh, two weeks ago, Mark's uh, mother-in-law. She was 92 years old. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he said, oh, she died really well. And I'm sitting there going, tell me more. I'd already written this sermon. I was like, we don't ever talk about this. And all of a sudden this man, like, you know, and Mark's like a, you know, he's a tough guy and he's tears up and he's like, oh, it's beautiful. She's 92 years old and she called her family together and she said, I'm not giving up, but my body's given out. And she said, I'm ready to die. And she had been suffering from congestive heart failure. And she said, kids, I'm going to stop taking my medicine. I'm, I'm ready to go, go be with Jesus. And they said, are you sure? And she said, yep, I'm sure. And it took her a month to die. But man, the last month was awesome. She ate all kinds of salty things. Uh, Mark said, like, they come in, she had potato chips, you know. She was living her best life there at the end. And, and they watched it happen. You know, her hands and her feet and her body started to swell up. I mean, congestive heart failure, that's, that's the sign of death. She was dying in front of their eyes. And what she did over the last month, because she knew it was coming and she was ready for it, because she loved Jesus. She lived her life with the end in mind. She had her family, her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids just come and they, they, like, they, they laughed together. They prayed together. They, they, they celebrated life together. And then she died with her family all around her. Brad's mom just died. Paula, the same way, like a, a firecracker of a woman she is. And I use the word is because Mark's mother-in-law and Paula, Brad's mom, are more of an is now than they ever were. Like they're present tense. We don't become past tense when we die. Paul knew that he'd lived his life and that he was going to have a crown of righteousness, that there was a telos, a future in front of him. And when Paula died, it was, it was the same way. It was, it, was, it was a movement toward and surrounded by family and the end had come. Every one of us, we're all going to die. I know you may not like hearing that, but it's just true. And lately I've been thinking, well, if, if, if death is inevitable, then how do we do it the right way? How do we live in the right way? And one of the things that I've been considering, and unfortunately, maybe fortunately, over the last year and a half, I've had more than my fair share, is that one of the ways that we learn to be okay when death comes is to welcome all the little deaths that we experience as we live our lives. I think so often we avoid, we, we hide from our losses, we hide from our failures, we hide from things that change or things that end or things that we don't understand or things that don't make sense and we live in places of denial. And I think that one of the ways that you will die well, that I will die well, is to like own your losses and experience the little deaths that come a million times. Paul had been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned multiple times. He'd had people um, reject him. He learned to live with the little death so that he would be ready to experience the big death with open hands. If you and me live in denial 
about our finitude and our vulnerability our whole life long, then it's a fool's errand to believe that we will die well. You practice dying so that when you die, you will open up your hands and open up your heart and be willing to go where you do not know. Paul lived with the end in mind. He wasn't perfect, but he lived actually in such a way that he was able to let go when it was time to let go. I've experienced lots of of little death over the last year and a half, and four books have really uh, carried me. And I'm going to commend these books to you. I'm going to warn you, they're not all Christian books, so if you don't like to read books that are not like super, super, super Christian, then just ignore what I'm about to say. Um, Because these are some of these uh, two Christians, a a Jewish rabbi, and a heathen. So it sounds like a joke I'm about to tell. (laughs) Two Christians, a Jewish rabbi, and a heathen walk into a bar. Um, These four books are written by those people. First, William Bridges' book, Transitions. This book is 40 years old. He's the heathen. And Bridges talks about transition, and he says that we all experience change, but that transition is like an emotional state. Death is a transition. The dissolution of a marriage is a transition. The loss of a job is a transition. Um, a diagnosis that you did not ask for and did not want is, a, is the beginning of a transition. Transition is an internal emotional process. And if we don't honor the process, we won't be ready to walk through transition. We'll repeat again and again and again. I've done it too much. I'm tired of it. I want to I grow. And he says that transition's marked by three stages. An ending, a chaotic gray zone where you do not know what's going to happen next and you're not in control, and then a new beginning. In our anxiety, we want our new beginnings and our endings to match up. Or we want to have the new beginning start so we don't have to feel afraid. And he said, it doesn't work that way. If we do not grieve the endings in life, and some of us right here are going through some kind of an ending. And you understand endings can look a million different ways. Um, The ending can be something bad or good. But if we don't own the fact that things have changed and grieve those things and then enter into uncertain spaces, we'll never be able to welcome new beginnings like we hope to. Bridges has been super helpful, probably the most helpful book that I've read in the last year. Second, Arthur Brooks uh, wrote a book called From Strength to Strength that is very, very helpful. And I love Arthur Brooks. He's a believer. He's, He's one of the ones that became a Christian later in life. And this is a relatively recent book. Brooks writes for like publications. Uh, the two Brooks I love, you know, Arthur and David Brooks are two people I like to read from time to time. Well, Arthur basically writes about what it looks like to get old. And one of the things that he says, and for those of you that are, that are 40 and over, you, listen to me on this. For those of you that are younger, listen to me on this. Um, you're going to have to transition at some point from trying to climb the ladder and ascend into something more receptive, more contemplative. And if we fail to let go of thinking we can always be moving up, 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 achieving, 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 I'm a striver. If we don't get off of that, then we won't know how to die well. We'll be frustrated, older people, we'll be bitter, and we'll lack this generative gift that God wants us to have. And our culture and our society is full of that. Paul learned to surrender. He was writing from prison. He was never going to be free again. And he was a full man. He was a whole human who had lost his volitional freedom and was going to die. Paul was ready because he had got off of one ramp and he was on another one. He was in a more generative space. God wants you to begin to think about your end. He wants you to finish well. Joseph Soloveitchik, so this is the Jew. 
He was a rabbi in the 60s. He wrote a book called The Lonely Man of Faith. And in that book, he talks about basically your resume versus your eulogy. David Brooks read Joseph Soloveitchik, and he wrote a book so that Western Americans could understand it called The Second Mountain. It's the same concept. He, would, he didn't have an original idea in that book. He basically was taking Joseph Soloveitchik and saying, I want Americans to read this guy. And basically, Brooks says, we spend the first half of our life thinking about our resume, but we have to somewhere transition to thinking about our eulogy. What do you want people to say about you when you die? Finishing well is actually beginning to answer that question. Paul had started to answer that question. You don't want someone to read your resume at your funeral. I hope not. If you do, let's talk. Because you got some work to do. Oh, he always won the argument. He made a, she made a lot of money. She was really pretty when she was young. Those are not the things we want said about us at our funerals, even if they're true. So if you want to live with the end in mind, start now. Paul had lived with such intentionality. He had lived thinking, what are my eulogy virtues and how do I begin to live as if those things were true? And he's able to say at the end of his life, I've finished the faith, faith. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. God wants the same to be true for you. In my own life right now, I'm really, really working to be present, to think about the kind of person I want to be when I'm dead so that I can begin to move toward that where Jesus is at the very center, where the people that matter to me um, they know they matter to me. And that's not always been true. How do we move in the direction of being the kinds of men and women God's called us to be? Finishing well. The second thing, the verses that were omitted that I put in are about division and reconciliation. Three names stand out. Alexander is a bad guy. Sometimes you live your life, there are bad guys in your life. Um, not everyone around you is good. Not everyone around you desires your good. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Beware of him. He's opposed to the message. Paul does not like Alexander the coppersmith. And I don't think he's going to change his mind. And then you got Demas, who Paul says, abandoned me. He walked away from the faith and he walked away from me. What we know is that Demas cut bait on Paul halfway through a missionary journey. He just quit on him. And Paul says he loved the world too much. I don't know the jury may have still been out on Demas. Demas has always kind of haunted me. I've always thought, what do you do with Demas? Like, whatever happened to Demas? What, well, because Demas is not, his story wasn't finished being told, but he was not in a good place. And Paul is lamenting Demas, leaving him. Here's where I want to part, Mark. He makes one statement. He says, bring Mark, send Mark. He is useful to me. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas get into a fight. Um, and the fight was about Mark. Uh, Barnabas wanted Mark to come. Paul said, Mark quit on us. I don't want Mark to be here. And the two of them got into such a fight, the Greek language says that it was explosive and violent. We don't know what it was. We don't know if they were like flipping furniture. They were cussing at each other. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Paul and Barnabas like threw hands. I have no idea. But what the language in the text would suggest in Acts 15 is that the disagreement was so sharp that Paul and Barnabas split ways and Paul chose Silas, and Barnabas chose Mark. But here at the very end of his life, listen to this. This is why we didn't let the verses get missed. At the end of his life, something's happening. He's like, 
bring that kid back because he's useful. I don't know what was happening, but some repair was happening. I want you to think about your relationships. Are there relationships where God would ask you to not just chalk it up, but try for reconciliation? Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's someone in your extended family. Y'all, over the last three years, we have lost so much. None of us have been at our best. Many of us have said things and done things, and we're now not as sure that we know if that was the right thing. Some of you are not in relationship with family or friends or people that you've known. This has been a hard season. And yet what I see here is that in the midst of the hard, there are times where God tells a redemptive story. Now, if you have been in an abusive relationship, God's not asking you to put yourself back in a place of danger. This is like two believers that couldn't get along. And now we don't know how it happened, but what we do know is that something has happened. And I've wondered a lot about Paul. I, I could be reading into the story, but Paul in this text and in other texts, he says a lot about being alone, about people letting him down. I think Paul probably struggled with like rejection and self-pity and abandonment. And I could be reading into that because I struggle with those things, but I don't think I am missing something. I think Paul, I think Paul struggled like he was probably like a glass half full type of guy. And sometimes, you know, the longer you live your life, the more life can really feel kind of like the glass is half empty. Like it's just not great. But what I see in Paul here, and I love the fact that the Bible doesn't like spell it all out. I just see something going on where something has shifted and changed. And I believe that for us, as we move forward, increasingly, I believe that being open to redemption and working for reconciliation Hoping for whatever repair is possible is going to be a hallmark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God forgive us if we are as caustic and divisive as our worst enemy. God help us. And that doesn't mean pursuing false peace. It doesn't mean doing things that are just silly or dangerous or reckless. I think it just means being open to some narrative changing. So where would the Lord invite you to move toward I feel like there are a couple of relationships in my life where God is asking me to be open for healing, even if I don't even know what exactly healing looks like. Maybe the same question you could put before your own heart. Here's the third thing. Paul invites us to learn to look to God when we feel alone. You see the pattern here? It's like I'm dying, relationships are complicated, and I've got to find God when I feel alone. And again, Paul, I think, was a guy who maybe struggled with feeling alone, even hurt. Uh, you read that a lot in his, his tone and his writing. And yet here he basically says, I feel like Daniel. Uh, the lion ha has had its mouth shut and I am surviving. And here's Paul in prison at the end of his life. And he's basically saying, I am learning to sit still and let God meet me when I'm alone. And y'all, this is like the guy who gave us the faith. I mean, Paul wrote a third of our, our New Testament. And yet here he is at the end of his life working out relationships and working out what isolation and loneliness mean. So you're just not alone. You're, you're in good company. We're in really good company. This is where the Bible is like real and gritty. Let's just let it be that. So what Paul is learning is he's learning to find God in the middle of it all. 
And I'm the kind of personality who tends toward, um, I read the book Codependent No More this last year and realized, oh my gosh, I am one of those. Um, that's another old book. Uh, and so for me, my desire to mitigate loneliness is to not be alone at all costs. Like just grab, grab, grab. And that overwhelms people. Some of us have made a kind of perverse friend out of loneliness. You hate it, and yet it's who you think you are. Here's what I know, regardless of our, our temperament, introvert, extrovert, we were all made for relationship. We were all made to be connected. And some of us have to learn to sit still. Some of us have to engage a little more, but all of us have an invitation to grow. And what Paul is saying here is I'm learning to sit still and I'm finding God. So for me, learning to find God is about engaging in disciplines of abstinence. It's learning to just settle it in. For others of you, it might be disciplines of engagement. That's how you find God. Because here's what I know. The more I connect to God when things aren't okay, the more I'm able to be found by other people when things aren't okay. God first and then others. And I love the fact that Paul here at the end of his life is going to be surrounded by some others. People coming to him, people being with him. But first he said, God's taking care of me. I want to challenge you to think about your relationship to God because your relationship to God is going to then inform your capacity for relationship and connection to other people. God wants our relationships to be clean, cleaner than they have been. So here's the question I want to put in front of all of us. You can put it up there. What does finishing well look like for you? And if you're 30, what a great time to begin thinking about this. If we're dying, it's never too late to begin thinking about this. I believe the Lord would have us consider where we are and then ask the question, Lord, where are you inviting me to make some changes to move in the direction of being the person that you've called me to be? In this sense, I want to be like Paul. I want to be a person who's growing until the very, very end. So we're going to spend a couple of moments in quiet. And you won't finish this. My, my hope is that you'll pick up one of those books maybe and read it and it'll help you begin to think. Uh, Soloveitchik is more um, theological and philosophical. The book's only like 140 pages. It's a great book. It's powerful. Um, but like, if you're not into reading things that are a little more abstracted, like go with David Brooks, uh, the last one, the second mountain. But what he basically said, says is that, um, both of them say that, that we have to move from like advancing and conquering to something and someone and being the kinds of people who are conquered. And, and Soloveitchik uses Adam as an example that the first account of Adam in our Bible, he is naming, subduing. Uh, he's doing all the kind of like conquering things. And then the second account of Adam in Genesis 2, and it's there in your Bible. You should look it up. It says another account of creation. It's right under your nose. Adam is subdued. And out of his side comes, out of brokenness comes a partner. The first Adam is alone. The second Adam is with. And that's what God wants, is all of us to move from being alone to being with. 
and it takes a lot of intentionality to get there. So we're going to be quiet for a couple of minutes, and we're going to start to consider this question, and then I hope you'll carry it into your week, and then after a couple of minutes, I'll lead us through communion, but let's be still first. We're able to stand together.